Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the sisters of perpetual indulgence and queer medievalism in 1980s Sydney. Your teacher is Dr. Miles Pattenden, Senior Research Fellow in Medieval Studies at the Australian Catholic University. And he joins us here on Drive. Miles, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. Tell us about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They're quite a controversial group and often seen by people, I suppose, at the gay Mardi Gras parades. Yes, they are, or they have been quite a controversial group that many of your listeners may remember from um, years gone by. Uh, They were an order of gay male nuns, self-styled, who were founded in San Francisco at the end of the 1970s. Um, And they emerged from the street theatre of that decade. And the idea behind the group was to pursue a a strategy of what they called serious parody that critiqued the the Roman Catholic Church's opposition to gay rights. That's such an interesting phrase, isn't it? Serious parody, because there was a lot of parody about it, and that's what some people found uh, objectionable. But they had a a very serious uh, impulse, didn't they? Yes, well, the the basic idea um, behind them was that by by drawing attention to to these kind of Catholic practices, they could um, make people think differently about the place of gay people in American society and then later in Australian society, um, and and they could use the or they could exploit and reclaim the resources of religion in order to make serious activist points. Mm, they were critical of the church, of course, that was the point. But they also did quite seriously consider themselves nuns and tried to to, to offer services to people. Yes, um, quite a few of them, I, I, I think, found this to be um, uh, an important um, part of their, their identities and a way of, of, of um, expressing them, expressing those identities um, in, in creative ways. Um, and yes, as the, particularly as the 1980s went on, uh, they developed a sort of their own form of ministry um, which particularly involved promoting safe sex and um, w- working for victims of AIDS. Now, of course, it's part of such an interesting thing called medievalism. Some of, some of medievalism has got gay themes, but, but lots of it doesn't. I mean, you can reach back to the 15th century and, 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 and the knights who pretended to be uh, you know, me- medieval warriors. Yeah, well, the, the basic idea of medievalism is that it's it's when people look back to some kind of distant past for inspiration in how they live their lives in the present. And we can find examples of that, as you say, going back into the Middle Ages or probably um, further. But, um, you know, all of us, when we're kind of thinking about who we are and constructing the lives we want to lead, we need inspiration from somewhere. And, and often that, that comes from history. So people have been doing that for, for many centuries. Um, and, and using it to kind of construct the, the idealised lives that they want for themselves. Yeah, people even dress up and have medieval fairs and things like that, don't they? Yes, they're, they're very popular, particularly um, in the United States. And of course, they're not, I mean, they're not people, the people who do this are not really living the kind of authentic lives as people lived them in the Middle Ages. I mean, when you go to a Renaissance fair, for instance, um, you can see a mix of all kinds of different periods and and. Uh, it's frankly nowhere near as insanitary as anywhere <laughs> would have been in the Middle Ages, um, but but that's not what people want it for. It's kind of like a way of playing um, of playing around with life in sandbox mode and enjoying yourself and c- developing an emotional connection with the past, which is very important to many people. So, if so many different groups uh, enjoy the idea of, of taking on these these medieval characteristics, at, at least as, as, as play and, and costume and so forth. What is it about it for the, for the queer community or for the gay community that, 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 that particularly they found an expression in reaching into the past? Well, it, it does seem to be a phenomenon which is, which is particularly large within queer communities, 
both in Australia and overseas. And one of the reasons for that, perhaps, is that uh, in many cases, um, those queer communities have only really been able to start developing their own identities in the last 30 or 40 years since homosexuality became legal and gay people started to be visible in, in, in society and in public life. And again, if you've only got a community which has been establishing itself over the last generation, that raises questions about how you talk about the past of that community, how you create a past for that community so that there's a kind of coherent story to it. Um, and a lot of queer medievalizing. Uh, with examples such as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, is about finding things in that distant past and reclaiming them as part of your queer identity. Okay, great example is the use of relics. Of course, a very important part of the Catholic tradition in the medieval period and, and reclaimed by these people. Yes, this is a part some of your listeners might um, might find uh, slightly surprising. But um, one of the main things that went on in Sydney in the early 1980s was after the and just before the legalisation of homosexuality in New South Wales, um, the council started to um, close down many of the public conveniences which had previously been major centres for men to meet other men for sex. And one of the things the sisters did was to collect what they called relics, you know, material remains from those uh, public conveniences, which they um, claimed were an important part of preserving the memory of how gay life had been in the 1960s and 70s, in an era which now that homosexuality was being legalised, everybody wanted to forget about. But, you know, what they were saying, in effect, was there's a cost of forgetting about it, which is that you, you don't know where... Uh, gay people have come from in Sydney and it's important to remember this and they borrow their strategies for memorialising from the Catholic Church. Mm, and they even sold those relics as uh, fundraisers for safe sex. Yes, that that's an idea they get from, from San Francisco and it's, uh, you know, it's putting it all to, to good use, I guess. It is interesting, as I say, a lot of people, were, particularly from the church, were, were very offended by it. A lot of people like Fred Nile spoke, you know, very passionately about it. Your sense is that in, in some cases they're a bit more sincere about actually copying the devotion of, of, the, of, of real nuns and trying to give service. That this was, this was not perhaps as, well, some of it was oppositional, but some of it was inspirational. Yeah, I think that that's right. And, and in fact, the the, the, uh, the the evangelical Christian right were often much more hostile to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence than the Catholic Church itself was. Um, some of the sisters, I, I think, were um, former um, members of the Catholic Church, former seminarians who'd left it largely because they couldn't reconcile um, their faith with their sexuality. Um, but also the, the way that the sisters presented themselves as Catholics was very much as a kind of pre-Vatican II um, style nuns. They they very deliberately didn't try to look like the actual nuns that you would see in 1980s Sydney. And I think they thought that that was kind of creating a little bit of separation between them and a direct hostility to the church. And as I understand it, they sometimes worked quite well with uh, with Catholic nuns and priests, especially around St. Vincent Hospital in the AIDS wards. Mm. I guess the question for, for some of the members was, was how do you lead a, a life of, of service to your community in, in, in the way that the, the real nuns obviously have a life of service to their community, but how do you do that while you're being a flamboyant gay person? Yeah, well, that is essentially the serious conundrum that many of them were grappling with because, um, well, I mean, now, of course, it may seem very difficult. We just heard today that the Anglican Communion in Australia has split over the question of gay marriage. But if we go back 40 years, um, homosexuality was really very taboo in most um, 
in most public spaces in Australian society and, and life. And it was very difficult if you were growing up, especially as a younger gay man, to kind of work out what you wanted, how you were going to live this life, especially if you also felt some kind of vocation towards religion. And so this proved to be an important outlet for quite a number of um, men who, who, who wanted to, to find some way to exercise pastoral leadership and at the same time to, to be themselves. Hmm. And that thing that we all have, which is how to be part of something bigger, I guess, especially at a time when, uh, you know, that, that, that thing you're part of is, is illegal and being hunted down. Yes, it, it's a serious problem. Where do you, how do you know who you are and where do you get the materials for yourself and for your identity from? That's the kind of conundrum which the, the sisters themselves were, were answering. And in a sense, it's something that we're all grappling with all the time. Even as a country, Australia has to deal with this problem as we, we raise questions about our identity now. Are we Asian? Are we European? What's the legacy influence of the British Empire? What about indigenous culture and society? I mean, in many ways, as a country, we're, we're engaging in much the same kind of quest um, to create identity from all these different kinds of materials we can draw from the past that the sisters were doing in the early 1980s. And therefore, there's something that as Australians, we can learn from uh, their efforts and their successes. You, you mentioned the 1980s, and that's absolutely the period I, I associate them with. But are they still around? I, I believe they are still around. But um, they're not as prominent in Sydney life uh, as they once were, although the San Francisco order is still uh, is still very visible and you can catch them on Instagram if you want to look at uh, lots of pictures of how they look today. Mm. And meanwhile, lots of uh, other people, non-queer people, going to those Renaissance fairs. Very, very popular at the moment. Hey, uh, Miles, thank you so much for the lesson. Thank you very much. Yeah, a trip into the 1980s Sydney of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence with Dr. Miles Patterson, Senior Research Fellow in Medieval Studies at the Australian Catholic University. Of course, next week, another self-improvement lesson. Uh, that time, from well, that will be Dr Jodie Rowley from Frog ID at the Australian Museum. Her topic, how breeding seasons of frogs... Uh, is getting longer in the city. 